God, we have gathered here to worship your great name and it is finished, it is done. We praise you for that. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die on the cross, to shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can know you, not just know about you, but know you in a personal relationship through Jesus Christ. God, I pray that um, as we gather in this place now and as we continue our time in worship through the word, um, that you would open our eyes to the word and teach us, remind us, shake us up. I pray, Lord, that we would all leave here this morning with some kind of challenge, a challenge to revisit your word, a challenge to listen to you, a challenge to depend on you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn to Proverbs 22? And we are on verse six this morning and verse 15. Proverbs 22, verse six and verse 15. So glad that you're here worshiping with us this morning. Those who are joining us online and those who will be in Kindred tonight at six o'clock. If you need a Bible, please raise a hand. We got some ushers coming down the aisles with Bibles. You can borrow one this morning if you need it or keep it if you need a Bible at home. We'd love for you to have it. You know what I'm thankful for this morning? Andy, what are you thankful for this morning? Thank you for asking. You know what I'm thankful for this morning? I am thankful that I pastor a church that celebrates the life of an unborn baby. I cling to the truth of Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Um, it's interesting that this morning's topic, remember a couple weeks ago, I, I shared this with you, how, um, how God just ordains these things, laying out this, uh, remember I talked about wickedness on Father's Day, um, but how God just ordains these things and lays these things out, and this morning's topic is parenting. Proverbs 22, six and 15 here in just a minute. Let me back up and I wanna start in Proverbs 22, one. It says, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. In the paths of the wicked are snares and pitfalls, but those who preserve their lives stay far from them. And then verse six today, start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. We're going to do something special this morning, and uh, I have five children that are going to come up here on stage to join me. So if you are one of those five and you know who you are, would you come on up? <clears throat> Let's welcome them as they come. 
So we are uh, doing something called, wow, kids say the darndest things. And uh, they have no idea what I'm gonna ask them, uh, nor do the parents. And uh, I said uh, uh, earlier, we should have probably signed a waiver for this. Uh, because I'll, I'll be gentle, but um, let's just go down the line. Tell us how old you are, or your name and how old you are. I am Abigail and I'm seven year old. Foe. What's your name? Foe Gunner. Gunner and four. My name's Julia and I'm seven. My name's Nora and I'm 10. My name is Elijah and I'm eight. All right, so we got a variety of ages. So. Um, here's the first question. I won't have every one of them answer every single question, but how old is your mom and dad? <clears throat> just, just ballpark it. Um, my mom is 36 and my dad is 37. How old is your mom and dad, Gunner? You told me earlier, how old did you say they are? <clears throat> 21. 21. Really young parents. How would you say? Uh, 42. And no idea. <laughs> you guessed my age a couple weeks ago, you remember? It was... Uh, 43? No, not me, your parents. Oh. Um, my mom, I think, is 37. And I think my dad is 38. All right. 36 and 36. Whoa. They know, they know that pretty well. Who other than you is a better dancer? Your mom or your dad? Just, just real quickly. Dad. Mom. Dad. Dad? <laughs> Neither. <laughs> Looks like we might have to have a dad dance off this morning. <clears throat> what is your mom or your dad good at? Just pick one. What are they really good at? Just real quickly. Uh, dancing. You want me to go on? What's mom or dad good at? My mom's good at singing and my dad's dad, no, my dad is Good at being really silly. Okay. My dad's good at hunting and my mom's good at singing. My dad's good at football. And I can't think of my mom. <laughs> you can't think of who your mom is? No, I can think of who my mom is. Oh, she, oh, you can think of who your mom is, just not what she's good at yeah. right now, at least when you're on the spot, right? Okay, if your dad or your mom became an animal, what would they be? Fit just either one. I don't know. My mom would be an elephant and my dad would be a deer. I'm not going there. Um, my dad would be a walrus and my mom would be a sweet cully puppy. Oh. My dad would be a cow and my mom would be a pony. My dad would be an ehu. Well, 
and my mom would be a penguin. All right, those are great answers. What does mom or dad do that is so embarrassing? When I'm about to get on the bus, they usually kiss me before I go. That is so embarrassing, isn't it? Wait till you're like 17. When I'm around my mom when she talks. Uh, my dad usually just stands up in a Red Hawks game and does weird dances. <laughs> my dad takes me that I don't Say it. Your dad's right there. He says, say it. Uh, <laughs> okay, what does your mom like about your dad? Who wants to go? My mom likes my dad because he's bald. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. My mom likes when my dad gives her neck rubs. My dad likes my mom because... <laughs> I don't know. Why does your mom like your dad? Do they like each other? Yes. They do. They like each other. Okay. How does your mom and dad show you that they love you? This is the final question. By giving hugs. Hugs. By making me good food. That's good, yeah. By giving me kisses. I, I wanna go last. You wanna go last, okay. By showing me that they love me. Okay. Um. Pickleball? They show you they love you by playing pickleball with you? Yes. Okay, that's a great answer. Let's give it up for these kids for coming up here and being brave. Thank you guys. You can head back to your seats. <clears throat> kids say the darndest things. So, so far in Proverbs chapter 22, we've learned about the importance of a good reputation, the value of living a life of humility, and on the path of uh, the wicked are snares and pitfalls. Today, the proverb turns our attention to parenting. And I wanna stretch this a little bit, not just say parenting, I wanna say grandparenting, I wanna say aunts and uncles, I wanna say family members, right? There's an old African proverb that goes like this. It takes a village to raise a child. And the exact origin of that proverb seems to be lost in time, but the idea is that for a child to grow up and to be productive and, and to be a well-rounded individual, it'll not only require just uh, the immediate family's strong family values, but it'll require them to be part of a solid community that works together. If you have kids or grandkids or 
or any way part of a younger person's life, and I think that's probably most of us, I think you would agree that there are certain characteristics that you hope for uh, for your children or for these young adults, like integrity, law-abiding, hardworking, courteous, respectful, kind, nice, loving, committed, compassionate, gentle, patient, and, and faithful. And those are things that we long for. And this morning I want to propose to you that it takes a church to train up a child in the way that he should go. First of all, if you're following along in verse six, the parent is to train, it's the first part of verse six. It says this, start children off on the way they should go. Start children off. Initiate the child at the opening or what's called the, the mouth of his path. And when they come to the opening of the way of life, being able to walk alone and, and to choose, stop at this entrance, is the idea here, and begin a series of instructions, how they're to conduct themselves, every step that they take as they enter into adulthood. Show them the way of life is what the scripture is saying. Teach them and show them what it means to walk with Jesus. Teach them the dangers and the blessings of the path. The word train in some translations, or as it says here, start children off, means to dedicate. That's the idea behind it. Dedicate, it's the idea of, of, of setting aside, narrowing in on, or hedging in. In other words, to train with a purpose. And the training that Solomon is referring to is very intentional. It's very much on purpose. It's not by accident. It's not by chance. A good coach structures his training in such a way so that an athlete peaks at just the right time. I was talking with a, a track coach once and I said, what is your uh, training regimen? Well, how do you train your athletes? And he said, I train them so they peak just at the perfect time, right before districts. And then so they can carry on that training right into state competition. When an athlete is trained properly, they're, they're at the top of their game at, at the perfect time, at the right time, in order that they might compete for the long haul. And the key for a successful athlete is the training. Are there athletes that are just naturally good at what they do? Of course. But natural ability without training can only take an athlete so far. In order for an athlete to peak and to be at the top of their game, there must be some sort of structured training that's involved. Training that will take an athlete beyond his or her natural abilities and help them to accomplish new goals and a, and a, and a broader knowledge of the game and better conditioning and greater focus. So an athlete is only as good as his training. A child will grow to be only as good as his training. As parents, we are trainers. It ought to be our goal to train our children to peak at the day that they leave home. They need to be at the top of their game, so to speak, when they walk out the door into adulthood. For an athlete, the lack of training shows up on the playing field. And for a young adult, the lack of training shows up in the game of life. In their decision-making, it shows up. Uh, in their integrity, their wisdom, their lifestyle, their, their desire and longing to follow God. A coach takes very seriously his training schedule and routines, and we as parents need to take very seriously our training up of a child by starting them off in the right direction. We're preparing our children to survive out there in the world where things are brutal. The world is like a, a rugby game 
which is kind of like football with no pads. I don't know if you played that or if you ever did that when, when you were younger uh, parents, but um, I used to play in this game called the Turkey Bowl. It was on Thanksgiving Day, and it was a serious football game with no pads, and um, these neighborhood guys would come together, and we literally would beat on each other. It was, it was brutal, and I still remember the one time that, that I got down, I was playing defensive end, and I'm, I'm ready to rush, and this guy, literally much smaller than me, but he was so quick that he hit me three times before I even knew what was happening. They took this game seriously. You could say that they were out for blood. You know who else is out for blood? The evil one waits like a roaring lion ready to devour. You don't think that there's blood spilled when, when a, when a liar, lion devours his prey? Living in the world today can be bloody. As parents, we're to train our children for survival. They're, they're going to get hit on the chin three times and not even realize that life has really even started. So how are we to train them and what are we supposed to teach them? And the scripture goes on and it says, we are to train them in the way that they should go. In recent years, there's been this push to interpret this verse just a little bit different, to say something like this. Train up a child according to the child's way or his natural bent in life, and when he gets old, he will not depart from it. The interpretation emphasizes the child's natural bent. A child's bent is to take into consideration his or her natural abilities and potential. So this interpretation would say a wise parent will take into consideration a child's natural abilities, potential, personality, and so on, and then when they learn all that, then they train them accordingly to those things, that natural bent. Should those things be considered? Yes. Is that what this verse is teaching? I do not believe so. One of the reasons I believe this verse has an entirely different meaning is because of all the prior passages. Another possibility for interpretation of this phrase is to say, train up a child in the way he should go, vocationally. Some believe that. Let's, let's train up our children in, in, a, in a direction of a vocation. Some parents see it as their responsibility to, to direct or, 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 or literally spend much of their time and energy and focus preparing their child to be a certain profession or, or involved in a certain vocation. And that's where all the energy goes. One night, Lori and I were watching this, this TV show of competition and there was this young gal who was a phenomenal singer. She was 12 years old. And you know how sometimes they'll go back and they'll do the backstory. And, and the backstory was that the parents, uh, both parents had really good jobs, and, but they both quit their jobs and moved their 12-year-old daughter to California because they knew that that would be the place where she would excel as a singer. We've all heard and read stories like that, right? Some people see it as their responsibility to train up their child vocationally. Some people see it as a responsibility to train up their child according to their natural bent in life. So what is this passage really saying to us as parents, as grandparents, as aunt and uncles, as a tribe, as a community? What is our responsibility? Train them as soldiers who are taught to handle their arms, keep rank, observe the word, and command of the Lord. Train them up, not in the way they would go, but in the way they should go. 
To understand the wisdom of Solomon here in this passage, we need to take into consideration the the previous themes in the book of Proverbs. When one studies the prior passages to this one, there are two ways a child can go. The first is in the way of wisdom and in the way of righteousness. And the second is in the way of foolishness and in the way of wickedness. Training up a child involves narrowing a child's conduct away from evil towards godliness. And from the starting blocks of a child's life until the day they leave home and come face to face with adulthood, we as parents carry the heavy responsibility of training and preparing. But what about from a child's perspective? Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says this. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Folly is foolishness. The definition of folly is moral immaturity. It comes from a Hebrew word that means arrogant or or flippant or hardened fool. In other words, children do not know how to live moral lives all on their own. They must be trained how to live morally responsible lives. Folly is corrected through discipline. Discipline is moral correction. It's a means to teach children how to live moral lives because children have no sense of morality or how they are to live naturally and they revert to what they know and that is selfishness. You see, what we do know is that every child is born with a sin nature and a desire to only please self. Reality discipline is used to guide a child at different stages of life and and, and toward a moral lifestyle by using their choices and consequences for their choices. This says that folly is bound up literally to the heart of a child. Not merely slight threads, it's not just lightly threaded in there, it's by chains so that it cannot be torn from it. Some experts believe that children are basically good. They're just, kids are born good and then they go bad, right? Others believe that, that yes, children are cute and sweet and lovable, but they are so selfish and greedy and self-centered. Negative behavior can be best understood when we as parents understand that a child always makes decisions to serve their own purposes. Isn't that interesting? In other words, children are naturally selfish. Their behavior is an attempt at getting the results they want. A power trip or a temper tantrum are nothing more than a child reaching their parents, reacting to their parents' authority. Children want attention. It's their, it's their attempt to get attention. And that need for attention is built right into their DNA as they will do whatever it takes to get it. A power trip is when a child uses certain behaviors that that will make you as a parent pay attention to them on their terms, in their timing. Children are born with a natural desire to please their parents. Therefore, children will seek our attention either through positive or negative means. I still remember the day um, I was, we, 
Lori and I had just gotten married. I think I was 20 years old and I was sitting in an adult Sunday school class and the topic was on parenting. And the, the teacher was going on and on and on and uh, p- people were asking questions and stuff and I raised my hand. Of course, I was an expert. Um, and I said, hey, here's how you do this. I said, you, you do what's called preventive or proactive parenting. Because they were talking about you know, taking kids into a store or a restaurant and kids are misbehaving and they're throwing fists. I said, guys, this isn't that hard. I'm 20 with no kids. You do preventive discipline. You, you sit little Johnny down and you have a nice discussion with Johnny before you go into the store, before you go into the restaurant and everything's gonna go great. When I started having kids, the preventive changed. And the preventive for me was getting my kids out of the store and out of the restaurant before I ended up on TikTok, right? It's funny sometimes how we think we have all the answers and then we have our own children and we're like, oh my goodness, this isn't so easy. The parent is to train, but secondly, the child has to remain. The second part of verse six, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. When they are old, or in other words, when they reach adulthood, it says that when a child is guided in the right direction, when he gets old, he will not depart from it. It appears there's, there's a promise that's made here in this verse, a promise of result. I do my part as a parent, and they will do their part. If I train up my child, they will live accordingly. It'll be beautiful. Pavlov developed what is called a condition response. You're familiar with that. He found that by by using a certain condition over and over again, that he could get a a dog to respond in a certain way. And he used a bell, he'd ring a bell, and that was the condition, and the dog would hear it, and eventually learn to come, and he knew the, the food would be there when the bell would ring. And the dog's response to the bell was guaranteed of the condition. If we raise our children in a godly manner, if we teach them to obey the Lord, if we model for them how to live a dependent relationship with Jesus, if we teach them to pray, if we teach them to worship and to study God's word, is there any guarantee they will choose to live in the same manner? Let's read the second half of this verse again. And when they are old, they will not turn from it. Is there any guarantee The answer is no. A proverb is a general truth that is brought to bear in a specific situation. I've known great Christian families whose child has grown up and now as an adult, they have walked away from everything they learned and they opted for a completely different lifestyle. What about those times when a child is brought up in a godly environment and from all the parents, it seems as though the parents did everything they could to teach and train their child to love the Lord and to follow him, but the child, when he attains adulthood, does not do what this proverb says. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? What about the conditioned response? If I do this as a parent, my child will live like this. Why are there no guarantees as to how our children will grow up and live? Because just like every person God has created, they have what we call, it's two words, 
free will. They have the freedom to choose how they will live. They, like us, they're not robots. And when they reach adulthood, they have a choice. And every human's natural tendency is not godliness. Rather, it's to live according to our sin nature. We are more apt, as our children will be, to live according to the flesh rather than the spirit who lives within us. And as parents, we prepare and train our children how to survive the battle, and they ultimately must choose to what degree will they fight. The battle between wisdom and wickedness is real. The battle between living for pleasure and, and sin versus the ways of righteousness is real. They have to choose. A man went to a dog race one night and noticed that the owner of the dog seemed to always know which dog was going to win. And he was intrigued by that. And after the dog races, he went and, and he talked to the owner. He said, how do you always know which one's gonna win? He said, it's really easy. It's whichever dog I feed. In our bodies and in our children's bodies, there is a battle that is raging. And the battle is between our sin nature and our spirit nature. Whichever gets fed more will always win the battle. You see, even though as parents we can start a child off in the right direction, even though we can guide them and model for them the ways of the Lord, they must choose which nature they will feed more. Either the sin nature or the spirit nature. Whichever they choose will determine their direction in life. If you have a wayward child, one who has chosen to feed the sin nature more and live their life not seeking God, it is prideful to think that it's because of something you did or didn't do. So let me just take that burden off of you. I've been in conversations with people you know, if I'd have just done this, or maybe I shouldn't have done that, then my child would have turned out perfect, then my child would be following the Lord, then my child would be in church, then my child would be doing this. You say, hold on a second, that's really prideful. And it's really prideful because you think you have the power to make your child turn out a certain way? And it's no different than when I sit in circles and, and, and sometimes it's really painful and it's really hard to sit in circles and people go around the room and they're talking about their children and all of my children follow the Lord. All of my children have married believers. Oh, oh, in fact, three of them are missionaries and two of them are pastors and just on and on and on. And it's the same thing. Really? That's really prideful. And it's really hurtful because you think you did it perfectly so well and you did everything just right that your children turned out a certain way? You don't have that power in either scenario. So what's the point of this proverb? Is there any truth or any hope in it? Of course. Let me just say this, if a child is raised in a Christian home where he or she has learned what it means to live for God and seek him and depend on him, there is a far, far greater chance that a child when he was old will choose to live according to the spirit nature. And that's the hope we cling to. 
We cling to the deep work of God in their life, not our parenting expertise. A child who is raised in the ways of the Lord versus a child who is raised in a worldly setting will have a much greater chance in understanding and choosing for themselves the ways of the Lord. They will have a foundation to return to. And when they're at a place where they must choose for themselves and their families how they will live, there's that free will. They will have a plethora of reasons to say yes to godliness and no to worldliness. Hang on to this hope. Start off a child in the ways of the Lord. Don't neglect the training and the hope and pray they choose to seek heart after God. And for those of you who have wayward children, cling to the hope. If they know the truth, cling to that hope. I'm gonna close with one thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something that's a little bit unique, but since we're on the topic of parenting, I'm gonna explain to you what I wanna do and then... Um, you can choose whether or not you, you wanna participate in this. So what I wanna do here in just a second is I wanna have um, all of the children in the room stand, not yet, but just in just a second, I wanna have all the children in the room stand. And then I wanna have the parents um, or guardians or grandparents or aunts and uncles or whoever it might be that, that is in proximity of that child, if you feel comfortable to lay hands on them. And then I wanna have you read with me uh, the prayer that's found in Numbers 6.24. And it's gonna be on screen here in a second. And um, you'll just read this with me. And it says, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. And I just wanna pray this over all of the children uh, that are in this room this morning, and you can decide who a child is. Maybe your 17-year-old's like, no, this isn't the place, mom and dad. Or you work that out as a family. Um, but I, I hope that everybody uh, who is still at home, so to speak, would be willing to stand. So children or whoever feels comfortable, would you, would you stand first of all at this time? Okay. Now, would all of the parents or grandparents or relatives or even other people in the area that feel comfortable, would you lay your hands on these children and we're just gonna, we're gonna pray over them. And parents and grandparents and adults who are standing that wanna pray this prayer, I'm just gonna have you pray this out loud with me. Okay, here we go. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Amen.